LaBelle. How about that, huh? It is great to be here tonight, uh, to see each of you here tonight. I'm, I'm just I'm just so amazed as I continue to study and, uh, and, and, and recognize and identify and speak of the greatness of our God. And, and tonight we're continuing being like Jesus. And so here... Here we are in the midst of, of conflict and struggle, and, and I'm reminding you from last week's, we're going to pick up this week, where uh, Jesus did not argue, he did not defend himself, he did not, uh, you know, clamor for his rights to be heard, um, he didn't show disrespect, always respectful to authority, he was a true servant of the sovereign God, he was committed to God 100%. He didn't blame God. I want to pick up right there tonight. Because I hear often people struggling in their relationships in life, and they blame God. They're they're like, well, God, none of this would have happened if God didn't allow it to happen. Right? And it's always, somehow God comes in there to to be blamed in one way or another. And I'm mindful of, like, the Tower of Siloam. And Jesus mentions, he talks about, you know, the, the tower, and he says, you know, that tower that fell, it wasn't, it wasn't God's will that it fell. I mean, it just, it just failed. It's, you know, when, when the, the Romans selected certain individuals to, um, that were Christians to be executed, it wasn't necessarily God's will that, that God chose or uh, allowed that to happen. It's a product of life. Things happen in his life. We are physical beings in the physical world, and we're going to suffer uh, because we're, we're humans, and that's just the way it goes. Uh, and so it's not that God is picking and choosing, you know, who will die in this way and that way, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, I'm not saying that God's hand is not in it uh, sometimes, but we have to be very careful to blame God for, for bad things that happen in life or just things in general that happen to life. We just have to accept it and move on and remember to serve him and honor him. We know that Jesus, there's no question about it, um, he is, is doing the will of the Father. And I'm going to John chapter 19. And he doesn't blame shift. And I want to use this example in John 19 in verse 9, where he's, he's talking to the authorities. And uh, verse 9, he entered, the praetorium into the, he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up uh, to you has the greater sin. And so so what what Jesus doesn't do, though, is say at this point, you know, I can't believe the Father's doing this to me. Right? He doesn't do that. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't blame shift. He doesn't say, you know, you know, I, here I am, I'm a good guy, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm, you know, he doesn't do that. He just, he says, okay, you have authority, and, and your authority, as God gave civil authority to, uh, to the government, you know, he says, you have no authority over me unless it had been given to you. Jesus did not complain about the fact that, you know, his privileges were removed uh, in life. And, and instead, what he did was he paid the necessary price for the sins of the world. And, and we got to do that, right? You got to pay the price. If we do something that we ought, we should have done, we got to pay the price, right? Instead of blame God 
Don't blaming God for bad things that happen in our lives. We just we have to be like Jesus and and just suffer it and and do His will, right? Surrender to Him always. So this is all about submitting to higher authority or submitting to God Himself. Uh, turn to Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two. Life is so much better uh, if we if we just uh, instead of trying to find someone to blame. Well, number one, accept our own mistakes. Right? How many times you heard someone does something they're not supposed to do, and then they get caught, and then there's a consequence, and the first thing they do is what? Don't blame God. <laughs> blame God. You know why? It's easy to blame shift. We ought not ever do that. So verse 14. All this is setting us up for what we're going to talk about tonight. Verse 14, Hebrews 2. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself Likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. I want you to think about what, um, what life, what about Christianity? And the Romans came and they knocked on the, the Christians' doors. And when the Christians recognized that what was important was their relationship with God, and they didn't love their lives, Revelation tells us that, um, so much so to the point of death, and they allowed the Romans to take them, and they didn't fight back. And they allowed them to, I mean, they were doing some really grotesque things in regards to the execution of Christians. And they just, they let it happen. Do you know how many Romans, we don't have a historical number, but when you look at the, there's a church in Rome, there, there are so many congregations in Rome that stem up as you're reading uh, the New Testament. You know how many Romans were converted because of what they saw? They were like, wait, you people aren't going, you're not going to fight us back. You're just going to, you're, you're going to die. You're going to die for this man or this cause or whatever. And they were willing to die. And they did, right? And as a result, so many were converted to Christ. And you, you look at the missionary journeys of Paul, and you look at the church as it grows. The church in Rome, the book of Romans, there should not be a church in Rome. Of any place, there should not be a church in Rome. But you have the Church of Christ in Rome, an illegal religion, and there's nothing Rome can do about it. That's pretty amazing. That's incredible. Well, the power of Jesus, what he does is, he comes in and he rises from the dead and he gives hope to people who felt hopeless, who felt like Rome was everything, and they realized that Rome was absolutely nothing in comparison to God. So he took away that fear of death, knowing, as we know now from the Scriptures, that though we die, we live. And that's the beauty uh, and the power of the Christian life in this life, that this is not the end, right? Verse 15 says, And might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. And so some Christians took a little longer to mature to the point to where Loving this life wasn't the priority. The priority was loving the life to come, right? And, and so can you imagine when you study history and, and they say to you, these Christians were, they, weren't, they didn't want to die, but they knew there was no way out. They were eager to join God. It's like, what? Right? That's the beauty of the transformation of the minds of, of Christ or the minds of of people who come to Jesus Christ. So here's what Jesus did. 
I want to turn to John chapter 6. He gave up his own privileges to help those who could not help themselves. Isn't that what he did? He gave them up. He gave all of his privileges up that was necessary to help us. We couldn't help ourselves. We were, Romans 5 tells us, we were helpless, right? We were hopeless. We could not help ourselves. And Jesus came along, and he gave up his will for not just the will of the Father, but think about this for a moment. God gave up his will for our will. Think about that. Because we want to go to heaven. But it's an impossibility to go to heaven without Jesus and the blood of God. So he gave up his will, being God, remaining in the heavens to come to the earth to accomplish the will of the Father, which ultimately is our will. It's a satisfaction for our desire that we can go to heaven to be with God forevermore. So look at this surrender. John 6 and verse 38. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And think about what kind of life. When we start, you know, complaining about our lives, think about what kind of life Jesus lived from infancy. He was born in a smelly stable. And then shortly thereafter, though he didn't know it as an infant, the man Jesus, he's fleeing for his life. And then as he grew older, his own brothers didn't believe in him. The persecution continued all throughout the days of his life. And all of that was to do the will of the Father. How well do we handle persecution? How well do we handle someone imposing on our will? Right? Well, you're going to do this. I, I don't really. How well do we handle our employer-employee relationships? How well do we handle our marriages? How well do we handle giving up our will for the will of the Father? Well, this is what God wants me to do. You know why I forgave you? Because the Father wants me to forgive you. Now, my will says I'm not going to forgive. But to satisfy the will of the Father, I'm going to forgive you. In fact, I've already forgiven you. That's the power of God. Think about how so many Christians struggle with surrendering our will for the Father's will. Jesus said, that's the only reason I came, to do the Father's will. So he allowed, he allowed them to put the nails in his hand. He allowed them to mistreat him. He allowed his mother to talk back to him. He's God, right? In John chapter 2, and the, the wedding feast, and Jesus says, it's not my time. And she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I mean, she just totally disregarded God, right? That, that's a mother thing, right? <laughs> he did it. But he gave up his will for the will of God, the Father, and also for our will so that we, too, could be saved. The next scripture I want to look at is Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26 in verse um, 39, to give up his will, to give up my will, my rights, my, my you know, to give, to give it up. Would you give it up for Jesus? Matthew 26 in verse 39. 
And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face, praying, said, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as thou will. If possible. Was it possible? Yeah, it was possible. How do we know it was possible? Because Jesus himself said, if I want to, I can call 12 legions of angels. And it's over. So we know it was possible. But he didn't do it. Father said, no, I need you to, I need you to die a cruel death for these people who are going to kill you. I mean, that is amazing. I just, I've been just, you know, it's going over this in my mind. Um, the amazing Jesus. I can't think of any other way of describing this, but the amazing Jesus Christ. That he literally gave up his will, and, and he, could have, he could have stopped this at any moment, but, but he chose not to for us. I mean, that is amazing. That's amazing. How many of us would have done that for him? So imagine this, right? Here's the picture. He says, okay, now, if you die for me, uh, he's standing right in front of you, and he goes, I'm, I'm supposed to go up there, and I'm going to bear this, this for you, but if you want to get to heaven, you gotta, you're going to have to die like me. You're going to die, but you've got to die first, and you're going to be crucified. Are you willing to do it? Isn't there another way? The amazing Jesus. John 5. John chapter 5. To be like Jesus. To put the well-being of others truly before yourself. Before your own well-being. To live my life in such a way to where I'm really, truly, honestly thinking about everybody else. The brethren. Not thinking about myself. Thinking about the brethren. The brethren. How can, I, how can I glorify God? Father, how can I be a, a vessel of yours? What, Lord, could I do to bring glory and honor to your name? Who, Lord, could I serve? How, God, can I make you happy today? What can I do today, Lord God, to please you? How many of us wake up with that kind of enthusiasm to begin our day? Father, use me. Use me in whatever way you want. And you know that's a scary thought, isn't it? Because you don't know how the Father's going to use you, right? You don't know, but are you willing to be used by the Father? And sometimes that means I may have to, throughout the day, compromise my own desire, my own will, for the will of the Father who is in front of me. John 5 and verse 19. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So I wonder with this question here, in this verse, I wonder, what have I done today in the same way that Jesus would have done it? What have I done today in the same way that Jesus would have done it? What have I done today that would would be something that I could say, the Father was well pleased with me today. What have I done today? You know, that was a, a Janet Jackson song, you know, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> right? A long time ago. Well, what have I done lately for Jesus? What did I do today for Jesus? 
what, what within my willpower did I give up today for God? It's a great question. Look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. So, is there anything I read in scriptures today that makes me marvel over God? Where I go, wow, that's pretty amazing. If I Have I thought about the amazing demonstration of love and power and, and edification and all the things that God has done for me, the benevolent love of Jesus? Was there something today that, that I marveled over in regards to our God whom we serve? Did anything catch my eye today? Did anything uh, pique my interest with this idea and understanding of I'm here to do the Father's will because the Father is amazing? John 12. John 12, verse 48. In teaching, the Father, the Father gave instruction to the Christ, and the Christ came and said, I am not even going to speak on my own initiative. I'm only going to tell you what the Father tells me. John twelve forty eight. it says, He who rejects me does not receive my sayings. He has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him in the last day. For I did not speak of my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. This amazing amount of submission. Doesn't it seem, when you think about Jesus, doesn't it seem like, if you will, if you think about what the world says, that being submissive to the Father, being submissive in general, to be in subjection, to be humble, doesn't it seem like Jesus is giving us a different mindset? The idea of submission and subjection and humility. Because Jesus was not weak. Right? So it's not a weakness. It's power. And Jesus came knowing exactly what he was going to do. And doing exactly what he came for. And there was nothing that anyone could do to stop him. And he came to obey the will of the Father. So what he showed us is this. He showed us that we can be like Jesus if we choose to be. John chapter 15. But if we choose to be like Jesus, it means that perhaps we have to give some things up. We have to release our will and allow our will to submit to his will. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, You know that it's hated me before it hated you. So why did the world hate Jesus? Think about that. He had this great, kind, gentle, generous, uh, amazing, sinless, wonderful person as your next door neighbor. And whenever you need anything, he's always there. And, and, And whenever you just, everything you ever needed, he's always taking care of it. Why would you hate him? Why did the world hate Jesus? 
Because he exposed who we are, didn't he? <laughs> he exposed us. You know, when you, you see him and and he's living a life of perfection, what happened in, I mean, let's think about this. We're going we're gonna to dumb this down to, to high school or maybe junior high school. <laughs> um, you were a goody two-shoe if you did the right thing, right? Are oh, you doing the right thing? Are you just such a goody two-shoe? Or you're what, a teacher's pet? Right? If you were good to the you know, teacher, you didn't throw spitballs at the teacher, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't act up in class, you were a good student, right? Oh, you got ridiculed. I mean, it's hard in school when you're out there and you're trying to do the right thing, even if you're doing it just for one day out of the year, but still, right? <laughs> you know, and it's hard. And people are hard on you when you're doing the right Because when you do good, it exposes what? Evil. The light exposes evil. And we don't like the light shining on us, right? We don't like that. So Jesus, imagine now, as, as Jesus is walking through the crowd and all the people are there and they see the perfect one. And so instead of appreciating, enjoying, or, or, or uh, glorifying him in his greatness, they ridiculed him instead. You think you're better than us, don't you? Um, yeah, they, you think, you just think, you, you're calling yourself something. Wait, they knew who he was. Nicodemus told us that, right? John 3. We know who you are because no one can do what you're doing, the signs you do, unless the Father's with them. There's no question in our minds that you are God. Why wouldn't that have stopped them? Think about that. You know, you, you know he's God. But you're going to continue to persecute him anyway? Shows you that humanity, um, we've got some issues. <laughs> we may not all want to uh, admit it, but uh, we, we have some serious issues with humility, subjection, and submission. They didn't want to submit to God. They knew he was God, but they were in control. They were the powerhouses. They were, they were the leaders. And so they were not going to lose. It says it in John. We're going to lose our nation. They were not going to lose their nation to this good man who is God. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. How many of you witnessed your own transformation? If you, you're, you're coming to Christ, when you were in the world, you had lots of friends. Right? They're all my friends in the, in, the, in the neighborhood that you live in. And then you become a Christian and you turn your life around and all the relationships change all of a sudden, right? Like you, You're not attacking them. You're not being mean to them. You're not doing anything wrong. You're just not doing what you used to do. And because the good that you're now trying to do and by abstaining from things you ought not do, now all of a sudden you become the enemy. The light of Jesus, the reflection of Jesus that dwells in God's people who are choosing to live the way God wants them to becomes the enemy of the world. Think about our families, right, for some of us. Your own family turns against you. Everybody turns against you when you come to Christ. Well, why? What's going on? Verse, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep your word also. And so there's this joy now. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when they persecute you and cast all manner of insults against you uh, and do all manner of evil towards you for my name's sake, right? So now there's this blessing to recognize that, you know what, though I'm not trying to um, to gloat or I'm not trying to advertise it, that look at me, I'm a Christian now. People, when they recognize you're a child of God, they don't like it. And it's not that they don't like the fact that you're doing good. It's the fact that they know who you used to be. <laughs> but now you're shining the light of Jesus on them. And people don't like that. And so Jesus, while he was on the earth, he was shining the light. And Christians, if we're not shining a light, and the world still sees us as one of them, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe I'm not quite like I'm supposed to be. It doesn't mean all the world. I'm not, you know, we, we speak generically, but just... When, when we shine the light of Jesus on a bad situation, we're doing good. We do the right thing. We're, let's, let's go over this. We're, we're happy. We're jovial. We're excited. We're, we're godly. We're everything God, we're not always going to be happy. We understand that. But there's this certain thing about our new character and demeanor that exposes evil by the way that we live our lives. But we, we do it in submission, right? Not as if I'm better than you, but I'm just trying to do the right thing. What a good thing that is. Are we going to be persecuted? Yeah. Are we going to be used and abused? Yeah. Are people going to mistake our submission and subjection and humility to God as weakness? Of course they are. Of course they are. What do we do? We surrender our lives to God. Surrender our will to the Father. Be willing to be rejected by the world because they rejected the Savior and Jesus says, if they hated and rejected me, they're definitely going to hate and reject you. Be different, right? Dare to be great. In other words, dare to be a child of God. Back to Philippians chapter 2, please. We, um, we started Philippians 2 talking about Jesus. And I want to just kind of talk just for a moment about what happens when we become like Jesus in our in our service to him. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5. Okay. Have this attitude in yourselves which also was found in Christ Jesus. What I should have done is I should have gone over verses put it, I should have put verses 1 through 4 up on the board. But let me just let me go backwards. I want to go to verse 1 first. And then I'm, I'm sorry, it's not on the board, but look at your Bibles or your phones or whatever. Alright. If therefore, verse 1, there is any encouragement in Christ. If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Shall we take our markers and mark some of these words out? What do you think? Would that be acceptable? Let me, let's go back and look at it again. We asked this, we, we're, we're going to do this in a, in a, as a question. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Well, yeah. There's everything. Right? Okay. Is there any consolation of love in, in God? Verse 1. Yeah, of course. Well, why do I cling to the world so much? Right? 
Well, let's keep going. Is, is there any fellowship in the Spirit? In other words, our fellowship with each other is also a fellowship with God, and our fellowship with God is greater than our fellowship with each other. And, and is there any compassion? Verse 1 still, does, does God show us compassion? It, was Jesus a compassionate man? Yeah. So Paul says, speaking for God, by way of inspiration, the Holy Spirit through Paul, then make God's joy complete. <laughs> it's not really making, we're not doing this for Paul. We're doing this for Jesus, right? Make Jesus, make God's joy complete by doing something. Well, okay, God, what do you want us to do? I want you to give up your will. Well, no, God, because I demand to be right. No, it's not about being right. It's about being godly. It's about being, you know, I want you to think about in life, uh, we, preachers talk about this all the time. Preachers talk about the things that we believe today, and then we study, and study, and study, and study, and study, and study. And then a few years down the line, we realize something. Well, wait a minute. I, I had that off by a little bit. Or maybe, maybe I didn't have it off, but I've learned so much more about that subject that, that I should have approached it. You ever, do you have anything in your life that you realize, you look back and you go, you know, you look at it today, but you look back 20 years and go, you know, 20 years ago, I, I could have been a little nicer. I could have, I could have done things a little bit differently. Well, it's, you, you can't get those days back. Right? That's never coming back. So you gotta do that stuff now, right? So, so here, to be like Jesus is to make God's joy complete. And this is what he wants us to do. Humble ourselves. Because that's the only way the church will ever become the same mind. We'll never be the same mind if we demand to be right all the time. But if we humble ourselves and say, hey, you know what? Let's take a good objective look at the Bible. Let's let the God, let God's word uh, uh, speak to us. And maybe, uh, you know, I'm not on the same level as you are, but eventually I'll get there. Give me some time. But we've got to be of the same mind. Let's find the things, instead of arguing and talking to the church now, instead of arguing about the things that we disagree on, Let's figure out what things we do agree on. Let's get a foundation, right? Let's get a good foundation under us. And let's say, okay, all right, let's see. Um, the one church, there's one church. Brother, do you know how lonely the one church is? I mean, there are denominations on every corner. And here we are. If we can't fellowship and be united together, it's not going to work. It takes humbling ourselves and submitting to God to be of the same mind. Doesn't mean we, we're going to compromise doctrine. I never said that. But we've got to start somewhere, right? Start with love. Right? We, we start there with the one church who loves God and God loves us. And we also ought to not only love each other, but lay our lives down for each other. Be willing to give up something. Give up my, my, my will to be right. right. My desire to be better. My desire to be Notice my whatever it is, my whatever my arrogance is that's getting a hold of me, let it go. Right? How else are we going to be one mind? Right? If we're not if we're not doing that, we're going to always fight. Okay, look, that's the first one. Maintaining the same love. What kind of love? You're not talking about phileo there. <laughs> it's about agape. Being willing to give up, you got to give it up, right? To love even my enemy. To love, 
to be in submission and subjection to the Father. United, back to the word united again, same mind, and now united in the spirit and intent on one purpose. And what he's trying to show us is, in verse 2, is that when you get down to verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. That means that heaven, they didn't argue about, and he tells us that, who's going to do what. The Godhead doesn't do that. The Godhead doesn't share in the same problems that we share in. They don't share in the struggle of pride. Right? They don't, Godhead doesn't do that. And God wants us to be exactly that way. To be humble servants of the Father. Do nothing, verse 3, from selfishness uh, or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let you regard one another as more important than himself. And so think about that for a moment. So, God so loved the world, what did he do? The Godhead said, well, they're more important than we are. What? The Godhead surrendered to us? That's amazing. They're more important than we are. We're going to put them before us. What are we going to do? Well, if we make them, I'm speaking of days of eternity now, way before the beginning. If we make them, we're going to have to die for them. If we make them, we're going to have to be patient. Very patient. If we make them, we're going to have to be willing to be hurt by them. If we make them, we're going to have to accept that they're going to turn away from us. If we make them, we got to die for them. But they're more important than we are. And so he made us. And then, verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then we get to verse 5, and then he says, oh yeah, be like Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form, verse 6, of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is one of the deepest of, of many verses, but that is one of the deepest verses in the Bible. Let's try to wrap our minds around that for just a second. There was conversation in the Godhead about, okay, now I'm going to get maybe this, okay. So remember, we're talking about God, the Godhead. We're talking about God, 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 right? Why is Jesus revealed to us as the Son? Because we understand a father-son relationship. Is Jesus Christ the Son? Yes, he is the Son. But not as we think of the Son, like the Father was first and the Son was second. Or the Father is, is um, infer- uh, the Son is inferior to the Father. Or the Father is greater than the Son. Not in that way. They are, they are co-equal and co-substantial and co-eternal. In other words, now, okay, now here's a, here's a zinger for us. Turn to Isaiah 9, just, and this is off of the, off the, off of the, uh, screen here. And I want to grab this because I want to show you something. That the Son, as He's revealed to us, also stands in the place, or alongside of, uh, amongst, maybe I'll talk more about this on Sunday, uh, 
the Father, as the Father. Because Jesus is a Father to us as well. And just just listen to the verse. Verse 6. For a child, Jesus Christ, will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so keep God right in your mind when you think of Jesus, think of the Godhead. So think of, if you wanted to say Father, 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 you could say that. You could say Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. You could say uh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We, you could say God, God, God. God does not exist without without the two personalities uh, included in there. So you got three personalities. You have God, God, and God. And Jesus could stand as the Father, just as much as the Father stood as the Father, as the Holy Spirit could stand as the Father. Because it's because God is one, right? So what I'm, what I'm trying to get into your mind tonight is think about God um, as he now, uh, before he makes us, manifests himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, try to get our minds around that and say, okay, who who's going to be the Father, right? Here I'm wrestling with me, myself, right? Tony 1, Tony 2, and Tony 3. And now, okay, which one of us, which one of us is going to be the father? Well, you know, I want to be the father because I know I get to stay in heaven and, and just dictate and, you know, right? oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, who's going to be the son? Well, I want to be the son because I'm going to go to the earth and I'm going to let them, they're going to kill me. And they're going to persecute me. They're going to hurt me. And I'm going to feel pain for the first time in my life. And I'm going to be, wait a minute, I don't want to be the son. Okay, will you be the son, Holy Spirit? No, I'm going to be the Holy Spirit. No, I want to be the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen. That's what God is trying to tell us in Philippians chapter 2. The Godhead doesn't do what we do, right? The Godhead doesn't wrestle with what has to be done. The Godhead just do, just does it. <laughs> that was a good one. That's a doozy. The Godhead just does it, right? Write that down in my blooper reel. There it go. That's blooper reel. Okay, Philippians 2. Back to Philippians 2. It's just absolutely amazing to me when you look at that because you have to ask yourself, well, what thing, when he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So, so what, what went on in the Godhead before they created us? Right? They had to discuss, and, or, or somehow, you know, submission had to be there that, okay, okay, we're equal, but one of you have to submit. You know, one of you is gonna have to go down there, and then someone's gonna stay here, and then, and then, and then the Holy Spirit, now you're gonna go down there for the rest of the time, and wow, right? This is a very mind-boggling text. When you read it and you look at it and you think about it uh, the best that we can from the perspective of the Godhead, that it wasn't a big deal. It, was not even, it wasn't even one of those things where it was a, um, a, a little thing where Jesus says, I'm, you know, I'm going to be known as the Son and I'm going to suffer and die for them. That's how much love the Godhead has for us. It wasn't even an issue. Think about that. It wasn't even an issue. That would have been a huge issue in our minds. Someone's going to be the servant, and they're going to beat you badly, and they're going to mistreat you, and you're going to be down there with those guys for 33 long, horrible years. And it wasn't even an issue to the Godhead. That's amazing. That is amazing. Okay, so look at verse 7. 
He emptied himself. Taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. The next part. Not only are we all equal, but now some somebody in the Godhead has to give up all this. You gotta, you gotta give up, you know, you gotta give up your, your ability to not be tempted by evil. Somebody, you know, oh, the very thing you hate, evil. God hates evil. God hates sin, right? You gotta give that up. You're gonna go down there and you, you gotta be able to be tempted by evil. And not only that, you have to go down there and be tempted by, remember the, remember the angel that tried to take over heaven? You gotta go down there and be tempted by Satan. And you're going to be in a, in, a, in a form. You're going to be you're going to be treated harshly by him. And and you have to go down there with without the powers that you have right now. And you got to rely completely on us. You got to trust us. That conversation didn't happen. It didn't have to happen because that's God. These verses are are meant to be mind-boggling. And I'm sure uh, many of us have read over them and just like, oh, you know, it really doesn't mean a lot. No, this is, these are deep, deep, deep scriptures because it goes beyond our finite minds because we can't figure out what went on, what, what that discussion was like or, or where it really went and what it really entailed. And we, don't, we can't even conceptualize it. We can't even think about it in our minds. What does that mean? And what did he say? He wants us to be like the Godhead. United in mind. Right? It's not even an issue. Some things shouldn't even be an issue. See where he's trying to take us to? That there are things in, in Christ that used to matter before we were Christians. But now that we're children of God, they shouldn't even be an issue. Right? It, it shouldn't even be. And what is it? Who's going to be in charge? My will versus your will. And God says, no, it has to surround itself around the will of the Father. And if every Christian forms their minds to submit and be in subjection and obedient to the will of the Father, you would have never in history read about a church split. You would never in history have read about Christians who are arguing and bickering and fighting with each other. But that, that has not happened yet. And that's why uh, the book of Ephesians tells us that, you know, we've got teachers and, and preachers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for the equipping of the saints, right, to, to, to build us up, to grow us, to be the people that God wants us to be. God wants us to be not like each other. God wants us to be like him, to be like Jesus means that we have to be humble, submissive servants of the Godhead, which means we have to give up our will and surrender to the will of our God. You find that in a congregation, you will find a true, godly congregation. All the fighting and bickering and, and the things that we get, uh, get involved in in the church it would never happen, right? Someone's sitting in my chair. It would never happen, right? That will never happen, right? You don't have to worry about the gold chairs and the silver chairs. That would never happen. 
Someone rubbed me the wrong way. It wouldn't happen. Because we're always thinking about whom? The other person. How many children of God do you know who are always thinking about the other person? Brother, that's what we've got to do. To be like Jesus. Put others before yourself. Okay, listen to verse 8. And we'll move. Almost out of time. Verse 8. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then, finally, not only being like Christ, but being willing to die like Christ. And you know what? Our Christian brethren did that. They died like Christ. The apostles, 11 of them, died. They were, they were executed for Christ. They loved it. When I say loved it, I don't mean they enjoyed the persecution. I'm saying that right now they're like, I'm so glad I did that. Right? And our brethren, who were treated harshly by the Romans, they stood for Jesus. And like Polycarp, they said, light the fire. God's never let you down. Never let him down. Let's be like Jesus. So tonight, the lesson is yours. In a moment, we're going to have a devotional. If uh, we can help in any way, you're online. Contact us if you're here and we can help in any way. Please uh, let us know. Thank you tonight for your time. We really appreciate it. God bless you.